Well, praise God for Brian and the worship team. Pray for them every week as they work hard during the week to listen song every Sunday. And when you pray for them, pray that they'll have the best motivations. I'm not suggesting that they don't have good motivations. They do have good motivations. But like you and I, we struggle with our motivations about why we do things. You want people to be genuine and sincere and authentic with you, right? So when someone comes over to your house and does a, helps you with a project, you're not expecting that they would have ulterior motives. You want them to have pure motives. When you ask somebody to do something at work or one of your children, you expect them to do things with the right motives. If you're married or if you're going to be married and your wife or your fiancé says to you, I love you, you expect that to be without ulterior motives, right? Pure. And when you tell your spouse or your fiancé the same thing, you're, she's, or he's expecting that that comes from a sincere heart. That's important to us, and that's really important to God. God wants an undivided heart, and that's part of it. As an example, there was a man driving down the road one day. His three-and-a-half-year-old son was standing in the back seat, and he's driving along, and he can't see out the rearview mirror. And he says to his son, son, sit down. I can't see out the rearview mirror. And the son remains standing. He said, son, sit down. I can't see out the mirror. Son, I told you to sit down. So the son, after a couple seconds, sits down. They're driving on the road. The son says, Dad, yes, son, I'm sitting down, but in my heart, I'm still standing. <laughs> you see an undivided heart there, right? And that's what we're talking about today. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time and your word this morning. I pray, God, that you would illumine us and enlighten us. God, would you be working in us, please? And I pray in the name of Jesus that you would help us be free of distractions. We're so distracted. Help us be like Mary, sitting at your feet, listening to what you have to say to us this morning. God, to be the honor and glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you got your Bibles or your cell phone, uh, open up your Bible and work on your cell phone to Matthew chapter 6. And... If you have your, you should have a bulletin, and one part of that bulletin is almost blank, I'd like you to take notes. So get out your pen and pencil and write down the notes on the board, on the board, on the screen here where I'm going to be putting some biblical principles that we're going to be looking at that we can apply to our lives. And I want you to write those down and during the week review them because probably in the next couple of days, if you don't do that, you're going to forget what we talked about. I would, and so that's been a blessing in my life, reviewing the messages. So if you've, uh, please do that, take notes as we're going through this. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, now we're in the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew's chapter, chapters 5, 6, and 7, and uh, the, Jesus is talking about many things here. One is, is against uh, what the religious leaders of the day were doing. Uh, that's the background of the Sermon on the Mount. In chapter 6, we see a little bit of a turn with what Jesus is saying 
and he speaks more directly against the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Remember, they were the spiritual leaders in the time of day, and so people would look at them and they would say, well, that's what it means to be close to God, or that's what it means to be spiritual. Or some of them might have even have said, I want to be like them. And Jesus said, even referred to them as hypocrites and not to be like them in that way. Because the, for many of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, their service was external. There was no internal reality, no proper spiritual attitude. It was formalism and externalism. And as Roger pointed out last month, uh, no spiritual reality. They were doing it for themselves and not for God. And you know, you and I can fall into the same trap. We can come to church and read our Bibles and pray. The elders, the staff can fall into the same trap doing their spiritual exercises uh, every day throughout the week. And we can fall into the same thing with empty externalism. You can and I can. And so we need to be aware of our motivations. And so Jesus here is talking about and giving commands about his followers, what they need to be doing. But that can't happen unless the kingdom that Jesus was talking about is in you and in me. It just won't happen. We're talking about a connection with Jesus Christ. I'm concerned that some of you here do not have a true connection to Jesus Christ. You're here today, and that's great. And you're listening to God's Word, you have an interest, but you don't really have a connection with Jesus Christ. It's like this extension cord here. This doesn't work the way it's supposed to work unless it's plugged into the source, to the wall or to a power source. And that's where the comparison ends because this is a passive obedience, if you want to put it that way, or it's a passive conduit for the electricity that passes through it. And our to Jesus is not passive. It's active. But unless you're connected with Jesus Christ, you won't have the desire or the power to do what we're talking about today. That's one important point. So if you don't have that connection to Jesus Christ, we're going to be talking about some of those things today. And that's good that you would follow those things. Another thing that you need to have is not just your connection with Jesus Christ, you also need to have, that's our text for today, in case you didn't know, Matthew 6, 1 to 15, right? That's what your bulletin says. Okay, great. And authentic community. It's not just you and Jesus against the world. You need to be connected with an authentic community. Todd has talked about that many, many times and he, for sure he'll continue to do that. And you need to be connected. Coming here on Sunday mornings just for a couple hours isn't enough. So if you're just accustomed to come to, to church once in a while or come to church uh, just on Sundays, that's not enough. You need to be connected. One great way to do that is with a home group. So when the home groups began again in August and September, I invite you to get connected with one of those. Because with authentic community, you'll have someone to go with you through the journey and help you with your connection with Jesus Christ. Because we're not to do it alone, right? No Lone Ranger Christians. You've all heard that before. And so 
another good thing is Regen is starting next month. If you're contemplating being a part of that, that's a great way to be connected to an authentic community. I've talked to several people uh, who have been, who were going into that at the time, and that was one of their motivations. Great motivation. They got involved with a real authentic community. Great way to be connected to Jesus Christ. Amen? For those of you who have been through that. So, if you got your Bible, we're going to unpack uh, Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 1. We're going to unpack as we go along, verse by verse. And Jesus said, I'm reading out of the NIV, and he says in verse 1, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Jesus says it's a command in the imperative. Be careful, be aware, be alert. Notice and doing your acts of righteousness. So acts of righteousness could be many good things that you would do. What we're doing right now is an act of righteousness. When Todd comes up here to preach, it's an act of righteousness. When Brian and the worship team come up here every Sunday, that's an act of righteousness. Uh, when you do work projects around the house, uh, those are acts of righteousness. Sharing the gospel, reading God's word, praying, all those things, those good things are acts of righteousness. And Jesus said to be done by, uh, to be seen by men. So what's the motivation there for those people who are doing that? To be seen by men. But we need to have a balance here. And Jesus gives, us, gives that to us in Matthew 5, 16. Uh, go back one page. Roger explained that to us last month. In verse 16, we're going to read that, Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds, and do what? Praise your Father in heaven. So what? So that they may see your good deeds, and do what? What's the uh, motivation? To praise God the Father in heaven. So if somebody is seeing you doing good works, that's a good thing. We're not talking about doing all your good works and where nobody can see you. It's the motivation, the condition of your heart, an undivided heart of devotion to God, right? So what's the purpose why we do things? So that God will get the praise, right? So God will be glorified. So you're here today so that God may be glorified. That's the, be that's the correct motivation. We read the scripture, we pray so that God may be glorified, right? Even your salvation was for the glory of God, ultimately. So do all for the glory of God. And so when God gets glorified, we're able, God, we're able to be blessed. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for what? The glory of God. So that means everything. Everything. You're getting up in the morning? Do it for the glory of God. Do you brush your teeth in the morning? Do it for the glory of God. You eat breakfast, get dressed, drive to work? Do it for the glory of God. Until someone cuts you off, right? Then you lose your testimony. 
And if you think it's difficult to, to drive here in Lubbock, try driving to Mexico City for two weeks. If you don't believe me, ask my two children, Josiah and Tabitha. They learned how to drive in Mexico City. And they didn't get into any accidents, praise God. So do it all for God's glory. Now, for some of you, that's going to be too much. Is that too much? Is that way out there in left field? Mm -mm. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, and all your soul. That's not too much. That's what God wants. And when you have a passion for Jesus Christ, that's what you're going to want to do, right? No one's going to have to call you, come on, come on, get excited about Jesus, or, you know, whatever God wants you to do, do that. You're not going to, no one's going to have to tell you because God's going to be working in you. His Holy Spirit is going to be working in you to do that. That makes sense. Are you tracking with me, Melanie Park? Okay. So, the next time you sit down in front of your favorite meal, you're sitting down there in front of your tasty pizza, give thanks to God for his provision, right? Now, I know it's a detail, but some of you, you, get, you sit down in front of your meal and you dive right in to eat. Okay, it's a detail, but it's important because you're going to want to pray and give thanks to God, right? So when I have people over to the house and we pray, I'm not doing it to show off. I'm not doing it so that people say, man, is Chuck a spiritual guy or what? No, I'm doing it because give it thanks to God. That's where my heart is, and that's where your heart is too. So we're talking about motivations for doing things. Even when we come here to church, why are you here at church today? I've talked to some people, and some people have told me, well, I don't have anything else to do. That's why I'm here at church. Not a good motivation. There are some other people who have told me, well, that's what we, I was raised that way. I was, that's what, what we did on Sunday mornings. We just went to church. So just kind of continue the pattern. Not the best motivations. And Jesus said at the end of verse 1, if you do, in other words, if you're doing your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So we look at, think about reward. Reward isn't salvation. A reward is not a salvation. Salvation is free gift, right? Uh, I'm, a, I'm concerned that some of you here today, if I were to ask you, uh, how do you know you're going to be with God after you pass from this life or when do you become a Christian, some of you are going to tell me, well, I was born a Christian. No, you weren't born a Christian. You have to be born again. No one is born a Christian. I have four children who are born into a Christian household. Just because they were born there doesn't give, give, make them Christians. They have to take, make that decision. Some of you might tell me, well, it's, I was baptized when I was 8 or 10 or 12. Baptism in water doesn't save you. It is not for the forgiveness of sins. So we're not talking about salvation. Because salvation is a free gift. We just sang it. Right? For grace, by grace you have been saved, and this not of yourselves, it's a gift of God and not by works, so that no one can boast. It's an absolutely free gift. Just by faith, through grace. Because God loves us. For God so loved the world. 
but we can't be with Jesus the way we are naturally because we're sinners. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You and I are sinners. A sin is anything we think, say, or do that doesn't please God. That's what sin is, and that separates us from God. And maybe you can do, maybe you've done hundreds of great, really good things, but if you don't know Jesus, you're still separated from him. I think what Jesus is talking about here when, we talk, when he talks about reward is he's talking about praise and honor from God. And that fits the context because these people, the teachers and the Pharisees, most of them, were looking for praise and honor from men. That's what they were looking for. They were looking for the applause, the pats on the back, and you did a great job, and all that kind of stuff. So that fits that the reward that God's going to give is his honor, his praise, and his commendation. And that also fits Matthew, because in Matthew chapter 25, we read the parable of the talents. And if you're familiar with that parable, Jesus, or uh, the owner who represents God, gives three, God, three men talents. One has five, one has two, and one has one talent. He goes away and is gone for a long time, and he comes back, and he asks for an account, and the first two double what they've been given. The guy with five earned five more. The guy with two earned two more. And Jesus gave him the same commendation. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many. Isn't that what you want to hear at the end of, the, of, of it all when you're standing in front of Jesus? That's what I want to hear. That's what Todd wants to hear. The, the staff, the elders, Brian, the worship team, they all want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And that's something that we should all labor for. So in... 2 Corinthians 10.18, God says, For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. So you really are commended, you really are praised when God praises you and honors you. And that's something we should all be looking for. So when I'm up here preaching, that's my main desire. So when you do good things... It's valid, it's scriptural, it's biblical to look for praise from God because then you really are praised. So our first biblical principle is examine your true motivations for doing good things. What is your motivations? Think about it, analyze. Why do you do good things? Okay, you go to work, well, I go to work to earn money, I go to work because I enjoy it. Your main motivation should be what? Glorify God for his honor, right? Right? You're going to go buy a house or rent a house. Main goal, glorify God. I mean, there's other goals too, right? But that's the main deal. So when God gets glorified, he's able to bless you. And how that is and what that looks like may be different for everyone here. So, our second biblical principle is work for the reward only God can give. So, if Jesus were here right now talking to you, he might have said something like, 
beware of practicing your righteousness on Facebook. Beware of practicing your righteousness on Twitter or TikTok or Instagram or on Be Real. That fits. That fits what we're looking at here, not drawing attention to yourself. Verse 2, Jesus continues and he says, when you give to the needy, and let's just stop right there. Did you notice he didn't say if? He said when. So Jesus' followers, all of us should be giving something, right? Again, if you don't have God's power, if you're not connected to Jesus Christ, you're not going to be able to do these things. If the kingdom that Jesus is talking about is not in you or in me, we'll never be able to do it. Never be able to. And that's a good pray to pray, prayer to pray when we talk about God's power in the men and women that do the work in this church. So, uh, doing... When Jesus says, uh, give to the needy, so we should all be giving to the needy, that includes tithes and offerings. All of us should be giving something. Of course, it includes a lot more than that. And Jesus went on, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward, reward in full. Can you imagine those people giving and they had guys with trumpets blowing their trumpets and announcing their giving? What a show they put on. But Jesus doesn't want that for us and he uses the word hypocrites. The word hypocrites, we also find the same word in verse 5, two different senses of the word. One sense is those who do not represent or you do not or I don't represent who I claim I am, and you don't represent who you claim you are. And so by that definition, we're all hypocrites. You're a hypocrite, and I'm a hypocrite, because we're sinners. I don't always represent Jesus Christ the best way. I don't always represent Jesus Christ, because I'm a sinner. I've sinned. And so in that moment, I'm a hypocrite. And a lot of people might want to throw dirt on Melanie Park and say, what a bunch of hypocrites. Well, he who is among you without sin cast the first stone. We're all hypocrites, and you are too, right? By that definition, and I am. But there's another definition, another part of the sense of that word, which we learned at the men's retreat back in April with uh, John Woodrum, one of uh, Jeff Oldham's good friends, when he taught us that hypocrisy is pretending to be somebody you're not. Pretending to be somebody you're not. And that was what was happening with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They were pretending to be spiritual, to be close to God. Sure, they knew God's word, but their attitudes, it was empty externalism. Their attitudes, their actions were not based on love, mercy, and justice, which were the most important parts of the law. They were trying to impress other people. And you know what? That's part of our sinful nature. That's part of your sinful nature and part of mine. We want people to think well of us. And that's okay up to a point, right? But it can be a temptation. So for the hypocrites, it's a divided heart. 
And what does God want from you and from me? An undivided heart. A genuine, authentic heart for him. Are you tracking with me, mailing part? You following me? So, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. Well, sure they have. They were getting praise from men. When they say men, they mean men and woman, right? Humankind, mankind, that's the, kind, that's the word there. So, they were looking for praise from men. And they got it. They got it, for sure. And Jesus said in verse 3, but when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. What Jesus is saying there, what he means to say, is that when you give, you don't leave continually reminding yourself of how generous you are or how spiritual you are. That's the idea here. We're not talking about somebody who doesn't know what they're doing. We're talking about somebody who does, but they don't continually remind themselves of what they're doing, of what they've done, or what they've given. So that, verse 4, your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So God sees what you're doing in secret. God knows. He's taking note. Now, if you're sinning in private, or if you're sinning in the dark, you may think, well, no one's watching me, but there is one who is watching. That should give you the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is a healthy fear. God said it in Proverbs 16, 6, by the fear of the Lord, men avoid evil. But we're not talking about a negative here. We're talking about a positive, somebody who's giving, somebody who's serving, the acts of righteousness. Jesus said acts of righteousness in verse 1 so giving to the needy is an example, a specific example of an act of righteousness. So maybe you thought to yourself, well, you know, nobody really appreciates what I do. I had a man come to me one time in Mexico, and he said, he said to me, you know, no one ever tells me thank you. No one ever says, I appreciate what you do. I liked what you said. You know, and I felt like saying, well, is that what you're working for? I didn't tell him that, but that's what I thought. And uh, have you ever thought that? Maybe you've never said it. But you know, it doesn't really matter because there is one who is watching and he is taking note. And at the end of it all, when you're standing in front of him, that, that's the kind of words you want him to say, well done and good and faithful servant, right? So how is that going to be? It'll be in his timing and in his manner. And it could be that it's after you're gone. How many times have you gone to a funeral and people were giving eulogies and all this great stuff that they did came out after they were gone? So our next biblical principle is don't advertise your giving. So if Jesus were here today and talking to you today, he might have said something like, when you give to the needy, don't broadcast it on MailChimp. That's an application. So Jesus, in verse 5, gives another act of righteousness. And he says, when you pray. And he uses the same words in verse 6, but when you pray, in verse 7, and when you pray, I'm reading again from the NIV. 
Notice he said, when you pray, not if you pray. Do you pray? I'm concerned that some of you don't pray. Prayer is talking with God. It's important. And when you have a passion for Jesus Christ, you're going to want to talk to him. So don't let yourself come to a tragedy or a difficult part of your life to begin praying. You can start talking to God at any moment. And that's a great thing. But when you pray, and so the chances you get, somebody asks you to pray, don't get embarrassed and say, well, no, better, better you pray. Go ahead, you, you pray. I don't know how to pray. If you don't know how to pray, then you need to learn how. It's not difficult. All you need, if you can talk, you can pray. You can even pray to yourself. But when the Spirit is working for you, it's not to show off. It's in the, so that the people around you don't think, wow, how spiritual. No, you want to pray because you want to talk to God. You want to give Him thanks. You want to do what? What's the main purpose? To give glory to God, right? And so, and it's a command. 1 Thessalonians, see if I can get there. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, what does it say, church? Pray continually, or some versions say pray without ceasing. What does it say? You just memorized a verse. And some of you are telling me, I can't memorize verses. My mind is like Teflon. Everything just slides right off. Your mind is like a muscle. You, you work it, and it gets stronger. And so you can memorize. So it's a command that we pray when? All the time. Now, that doesn't mean that you're walking around with your eyes closed the whole time. But what it means is that you're in an attitude of prayer, and somebody says, let's pray. Yeah, let's do it. Let's talk to God. And you can talk to God in inwardly and outwardly. Jesus, and God says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. That's Ephesians 6, 18. So we see it's a, it's a command of God. So, and then we, okay. We think about prayer and marriages. It's something that God put on my heart as I was preparing this. So, brother, if you're married or about to be married, grab your wife or your fiancé by the hand and say, let's pray. And you better make sure she's seated because she may pass out from shock. <laughs> what? Or she might be thinking, well, what is he going to ask me for something later? What is he going to ask me for? Right? But on our part, and I include myself in this, it needs to be sincere. Right? Genuine, authentic. So grab your wife or fiancé by the hand and pray. You know, we always talk about the divorce rate among believers and unbelievers. Uh, you know that they're about the same, or some people have told me that the divorce among Christian families is even worse than or greater than the rate of divorce for unbelievers. But have you ever heard of what the divorce rate is for, for marriages that pray together? Have you ever heard of that? 
Guess what the statistic is for that? 1%. 1% of marriages that pray together stay together. 1%. So grab your wife by the hand or fiancé, start praying. And you might say to me, well, I don't know what to pray for. Well, Melanie Park has a prayer letter every week that goes out. You can pray uh, for the motivations of those who are up front, that they would have godly motivations. There's so many things to pray for. It's like the man who said to me, we were doing a prayer vigil all night, and he goes, well, well how can you pray for six hours? Don't you run out of stuff to pray for? I said, no. Come and join us. Come and see. You'll see that there's plenty of stuff to pray for. Plenty. In fact, we could probably pray for much longer than that. So, Jesus says in verse 5, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. So they're standing on the street corners, Oh God, thank you that I'm not like those sinners, like these other people. God says they have, they're hypocrites. He uses that word. And then he says, I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. Of course they have. People are watching them and thinking, man, awesome. That guy is really spiritual. But if Jesus were talking today, to you today, he might say something like, do not be like the rest of society, which loves to park themselves on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, on Be Real, so that they can be read by everyone. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not against social media, right? I know that can be used for godly things, and I know that many of you use uh, social media for godly things. You're sharing scripture verses, you're praying for people, you're encouraging, giving counsel, sharing the gospel. Those are great things. But I ask you, who are you or who am I genuinely promoting? Is it God? Or godly things? Or do you use secret media profiles to gather more followers? That's an application of what we're talking about today. And it's a temptation for all of us, especially when we think a world wide web. We can get everybody in the world to be seeing us. And I'm not against it. But think about your motivation. Analyze. What's our first, what was our, do you remember our first biblical principle? Examine your motivation for doing good things. So, are you tracking with me, Melanie Park? Consider what I say, and God will give you insight into everything. Jesus says in verse 6, But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done secret will reward you. I think here we're talking about lengthy prayers. We're talking about prayers for any length of time. So when I pray, I don't sit in my front yard and start lifting my hand and yelling. I go into a, in my inner room or into a room and usually close the door and pray for lengthy prayers there. And God says here that he keeps track. Your father who sees what is done secret will reward you. 
but there are times when we will pray briefly. And I like to call those times or those kinds of prayers flare prayers. Flare prayers. Rapid prayers, five seconds, ten seconds, they're valid. Those are valid prayers. So maybe you're going in for an interview and you're sitting there and the secretary, the receptionist comes out and says, okay, the guy will see you now and you're walking in, flare prayer, five seconds. God, give me favor in this guy's eyes you know, or this, these people's eyes. Uh, there's an example of flare prayer in the Bible, Nehemiah. He had to go before the king with a long face because he had this heavy burden in his heart for the people, his countrymen who were suffering in, in the promised land. And he said, why the long face, Nehemiah? And in Nehemiah chapter 2, it says, Nehemiah prayed and then he answered the king. Flare prayer. You're sitting there counseling somebody and you don't have any idea what to say or verses to use. You say, God, and while you're listening, God, help me. Give me those verses. Show me where to go. And he will. He will. Flare prayers. So it's okay to pray in public. There was a guy one time, I was, at the, I was in graduate school, and I went down to the cafeteria for, to eat lunch one day, and I sat down at a table, and there was a guy a couple chairs down from me, and I bowed my head, and, and I prayed to myself about five seconds or so. I lifted up my head, and he was staring at me. And I said, hey, what's up, dude? And he, did, and he said, you're wrong. Jesus said we shouldn't pray in public. And I felt like telling him, well, what's it to you, dude? Wasn't praying to you. I'm glad I didn't say that because I would have lost my testimony. But God isn't against prayer. When we go out to eat, my family and I, we pray before we eat. But I don't stand there at the head of the table in the restaurant, oh, God, thank you for this food. No, it's a quiet prayer. Are people going to see me? Probably, but I'm not doing it for that. If they do, great. May they praise God in heaven for that, according to Matthew chapter 5. But I'm not doing it for them. I'm giving thanks to God from, a, from correct motivations. So verse 6, verse 7, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans for their, of, of their many words. Excuse me, for they, excuse me, let me start over. When you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. We're talking about vain repetitions. I grew up in a tradition where we learned memorized prayers. And some of those prayers I can still say decades later. And we would pray those prayers every meal, the same prayer. Every night before we went to bed, my mother would come and pray the same prayer. God wants you to talk to him from your heart, whatever it is. Right? That's what God wants. So, you keep praying. Luke chapter 18 talks about persistent prayer. So you keep praying until you get an answer. And so our next biblical principle is pray continually, persisting in prayer. Do not be like them, verse 8, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. So God knows what we need before we ask him. So why then should we pray? 
I had a guy here at a Melanie Park prayer meeting time, uh, ask me, well, you know, God's sovereign. He's got everything under control. Everything is going to turn out the way he wants. So why should we pray? And the answer to that is 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Pray continue. It's a command. And prayer changes things. The testimony of Scripture. God always answers prayers. If you turn in your Bible to Matthew 7, one chapter ahead, in verse 7 and 8, Matthew 7, 7 and 8, Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. So God always answers prayers. Sometimes I hear Christians saying, well, you know, God didn't answer my prayer. Yeah, he did. He said no. That's an answer, right? Or wait. But God always answers the prayers of his children. And we have the, secure, the, the, assurance, of answer, the assurance of answer prayer in 1 John 5. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us. Whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. So that's the assurance of answered prayer. Maybe we need to have a conference on prayer. I think that would be great. Or even a conference on what a successful marriage is. A successful marriage is a marriage where the man and the woman are following God's designs. We don't talk about a happy marriage because happiness is not the goal. The goal is to what? What's the goal, church? Glorify God. So I glorify God in my marriage when I follow God's designs for a husband, right? And my wife follow designs for a wife. And when we follow those designs, that's a successful marriage. Perfect? No. Successful? Yes. And then the result is happiness. But that's not the goal. And don't think if you're, un, if you're not married that being married is going to make you happy. It's not going to make you happy. It can make you successful for God. It may not make you happy. And in verse 9 through 13, we have what we all know, the Lord's Prayer. Could call it the Disciples' Prayer. It's a model. It's an example. And Jesus says, this then is how you should pray, verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name or your name. Talking about our Father, it's a right relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what that is. 1 John 1.12, yet to those who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to do what? Become children of God. We're not all children of God. We're all God's creation, yes, but we're not all God's children. Only those who receive him to those who believed in his name. It's the same. It's not two steps. It's one belief in Jesus. And that is the solution to sin. That is the solution to sin. That sin problem we talked about earlier, that we're all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God. That is the solution. And the second part, hallowed or holy be thy name, do all for God's glory and he'll be able to bless. 
In verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as is in heaven. When we talk about a physical kingdom, that is coming sometime in the future. But I think for us, it could be the rapture, that Jesus is coming back. Do you want Jesus to come back today? I want Jesus to come back today. I've been praying he'll come back in 2023. And if he doesn't, then he comes back in 2024. It would be, wouldn't it be great if Jesus came back right now? Here we are studying God's word together. Jesus comes back. Wow. I pray that all of us would disappear. There'd be nobody left. And give us this day, or your will be done. It should, God's will should always be done. Give us today our daily bread. We think about his provision, Matthew 6, 33. We should all memorize that verse. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And then verse 12, forgive our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Do not, we pray that God would keep us from temptation or from the evil one or from evil. Maybe your version says, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever but to deliver us from temptation and evil. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. We have, so verse 12 and verse 14 and 15 go together. So God forgives only by faith in him and his, for his sacrifice for you on the cross. And he's offering eternal life and salvation. And if you don't have that today, today is an excellent day to receive Christ. Today is an excellent day to put your faith only in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, because only God can forgive. And that's the basis of why we should forgive others. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just what? It's in Christ, God forgave you. So the basis of, our, of my forgiving you and other people is because God has forgiven me for, of so much. And the other side of the coin is asking for forgiveness, but that's not in view here. It's, and so if you don't forgive, you don't lose your salvation. But you lose your walk with God and you act like a hypocrite. And so do I when I don't forgive. So... It's a process because I know that some of you have been so deeply hurt and been damaged so deeply that it's a process. And you can begin by saying, please, I, I forgive that person, but it's going to take a while for your heart to catch up. We have another verse, 1835, Matthew 1835. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. So our last scriptural principle here, forgive others quickly from your heart. So don't hang on to those hurts that people have done to you in the past. It's like trying to run a marathon with these weights. These weights are, there's 15 pounds and 15 pounds here. Could you, try to, could you imagine running from here to the loop with these things, most of you wouldn't even make it out the door, I think. <laughs> but that's what it's like 
trying to live for Jesus when you don't have when you haven't forgiven. And I know that you have to forgive because that's part of the life. That's part of Christian life. And we think about a successful marriage. Part of a successful marriage is forgiveness. And if there's no forgiveness in a marriage, your marriage is headed for disaster. Please forgive. And that describes some marriages right now. Right now, right here, sitting right here. There's not the kind of forgiveness that God is asking you to give. So we're talking about real, sincere, and authentic, undivided heart. Now, some of you might not agree with me, but I think, I believe, biblically, that forgiveness is forgetting. Some of you might disagree with me on that one. But it's, I think it's biblical, because if I'm not forgetting, then I'm constantly dwelling on something, and that works me up, and I am not forgiving. So I believe that forget, forgiving is forgetting. Plus, we have God's example, right? And in, in, there's at least five verses in Scripture that say that God remembers our sins no more. He throws your sins at the bottom of the lake, and at the edge he posts a sign saying, fishing prohibited. But some of us want to go fishing, don't we? Especially in an argument. But once you've been forgiven, once you've forgiven that person, it's, you can't go there. You can't go there. Case closed. So I believe, now you might say, well, I'm not God, but what does Philippians 4.13 say? One of your favorite verses. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I think it's forgetting. Now some you may never forget because they're so profound, so hurtful. But every time you remember, you're not going to dwell on it and it doesn't have that sharp edge of emotional hurt. So that's the main deal. Glorify God. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, you need his forgiveness. You need his forgiveness. So let's pray. Oh God, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for your teaching. Help us to have the right motivations. Help us to pray with a sincere heart. Help us want to pray. Give us that desire. God, I pray, too, that you would help us forgive from our heart. God, we're weak. If you're not, and I'm weak. If you're not working in me, it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. So may your kingdom be in us and in me and in all my friends and brothers and sisters here. And God, if there's somebody here that doesn't know you, convict them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Help them take the, vent, the blindfold off their eyes and help them see their need for you, that they would leave here with their sins forgiven, having new and eternal life. And I pray this all for God's honor and glory in Jesus' name.